0: What's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the notorious pizza mind coming at you, per usual, from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone, anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right, the best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay, for free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making $0 on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right, so go to CryptoRevolution.com today and get your free copy all right what is up good citizens of crip nation it is your hosts as always bryson pizza mind here coming at you uh this time with a guest in person in studio here in san diego pizza mind who are we joined by today
1: we are here with joshua frank from the tie what's the tie stand for
2: is that an acronym for something? So so it was originally, and this was one of my co-founder's ideas, and it's a terrible fucking name. It was uh, the Trusted Information Exchange. He should be flogged for that. Yeah, so so we actually tried to register, and I'm very happy it didn't work. Uh, the Trust Information Exchange, but there are security regulations issues in the word trusted and exchange in your name. So we are now just the tie, which... You know, we're tying together different types of information, I guess.
1: The tie that binds our losses to shit coins. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Well, welcome. Welcome to the bird's nest. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. You drove all the way down from uh, Newport, which is actually an easier drive than going to LA is what I hear right
2: now. It it, it is. It took us, we were, we had a couple meetings right by the LAX airport uh, a couple days ago. It took us two hours to go 40 miles. So it was only about an hour here.
1: Well, thank you so much for all your hard work and sacrifice in the name of crypto podcasts. Much appreciated, of course. So, of tell course. us what is the tie? What do you guys actually do?
2: Yeah, so we are uh, now the uh, largest alternative data company in crypto, and so what that means is we're focused on data sets beyond uh, you know traditional fundamentals. So, um, crypto is really an asset class that that's void of fundamental metrics. You know, there's no earnings, there's no revenue, there are no dividends in crypto. Uh, so, you know, what we do is really try to figure out how you value these networks. And uh, we started with a a sentiment data set, but kind of, you know, I'm happy to touch on that more later, but have expanded a lot beyond that from, you know, everything from sentiment data to corporate actions data to events data, uh, and really helping institutional investors get a, uh, you know, a full-fledged picture and, and quantitative hedge funds build multi-factor models to trade digital assets. That sounds awesome. And is this something that
0: only hedge funds could use? Or, you know, a lot of people that are out here uh, listening to Crypto 101 are average consumers. So, how could they get uh, exposure to some of the products that you guys are building?
2: Yeah. So, a few ways. The first is we have a community site, uh, which is thetie.io, and you can go there and you can access It's kind of like a, a slightly more advanced version of uh, Mazari or Coinmetrics. Uh, or starting a coin match. I mean, a coin market cap where you get access to everything from pricing data to news feeds, uh, as well as some of our proprietary sentiment data. But we've also developed products uh, with Etoro that actually give investors exposure uh, to some some trading strategies built on the data that we own. That's awesome. Yeah, Etoro, uh, as
0: everybody knows, here's a good sp- good sponsor of ours. They make almost everything that we do here at uh, Crypto One Hundred One possible. So uh, the tie has a copy trader account. Is that correct?
2: So we have what's called a, a partner copy portfolio account, okay. which is effectively the the same thing as a copy trader. Uh, but but yeah, so the, the way that it works, and I think we should take a step back. Right. Um, I think we should take a step back and say like, what is an algorithm?
0: What is this social data that you're feeding into this algorithm? Um, and like, why is that important?
2: Yeah. So let's take a step back even kind of before then. So kind of the way that uh, the tie came to be. Uh, I think we'll will make more sense in the context of that but but basically i was I was working in in post trade settlement, so connecting asset managers, brokers, and custodians and and on the side trading crypto and realized that you know as I mentioned before, this is an asset class that's really void of of fundamental valuation metrics uh so was kind of looking around and we had a relationship with this company called Social market analytics, and they're the leading provider of sentiment data to traditional quantitative hedge funds. Uh, so they, they provide, you know, data, uh, you know, basically on, you know, quantified social metrics, right? So how positive or negative investors are about Apple, for example, or about gold or about, you know, an ETF, uh, to, you know, these sophisticated institutional investors that are building algorithms or basically mathematical models to trade. So, you know, an, another example of kind of an algorithm that a, that a traditional Quant fund would use is actually looking at like satellites over a Walmart parking lot and looking at how many cars are in that parking lot to, you know, predict, you know, the demand for Walmart and how the stock is going to perform.
1: That's insane.
2: Yeah. I mean, another example is uh one of my old neighbors was a meteorologist for a hedge fund, and he was purely just predicting weather patterns. And, you know, you can look at, for example, what is the sentiment or what does the market think about Home Depot with, is there going to be a hurricane? And how is that going to affect demand for, you know, goods at Home Depot and, and stock? So basically, we, we, we had access to this relationship with this company called Social Market Analytics, which was providing, you know, quantified social data to these funds, these traditional funds that were building multi-factor models. And the idea was, hey, If, you know, Apple moves based off of social mentions, if you can build a, you know, a trading algorithm that works to help, you know, predict the price, well, in crypto, where there are no fundamentals, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have any earnings, it doesn't have any dividends, it has no revenue, you know, the crowd in crypto Twitter is really, you know, the largest, you know, part of what, what moves the asset. So, Social Market Analytics is one of less than five financial data companies worldwide that has access to something called the Twitter FIROs, and that's the full real time stream of eight hundred and fifty million tweets a day directly from twitter and They built some really cool tech over the last years to you know analyze Twitter, knock out bot and spam accounts, and score sentiments. So the idea was you know taking this underlying technology which is being used to serve some of the largest traditional financial institutions. For example, if you go to fidelity.com and you look at the sentiment of Apple, that's the same data that we exclusively have on crypto on Bitcoin for example on the tatterdio. Um so so taking that data set and bringing it into the space. So that's kind of, you know, I guess a bit of the background uh, and then more towards eToro, you know, the general idea was, you know, right now, you know, just like social market analytics is doing in the equity market, we're selling our data feeds to sophisticated funds in crypto that are building these trading models. How do we take that data and make it so that, you know, everyday individual investors can access sophisticated trading models like a fund would have access to? So partnered with eToro basically to develop, you know, copy portfolios or copy trader accounts, whatever you want to call it, uh, which basically algorithmically trade based off of sentiment.
1: So how did you get involved with eToro? Did you approach them or did they approach you?
2: So I've uh, been connected with Guy Hirsch, who's the head of eToro US for uh, a few years, uh and and really have gone back and forth on trying to figure out what we what we could do together. And I was at Consensus Invest uh or sorry, regular Consensus back in I guess March. Uh, you know, sat down with Guy, he's just a friend, you know, a good friend of mine. Uh and then Yoni Asi was also at the table as the CEO of, of eToro and basically just threw together, you know. Wouldn't it be really freaking cool if we could bring, you know, hedge fund grade data to, to retail investors, uh, was kind of the idea. And, you know, it took about eight months to get the first product off the ground, but the first product was a long only based, uh, sentiment copy portfolio. We have two more coming. Uh, we have a long, short and market neutral one. Uh, and, and hopefully a lot more is, is, is in, is in the pipeline. That's all I can say. Uh, but, but working on building so, some really cool things with them. That sounds amazing, and you know I kind of
0: I kind of just want to get a little bit of insight into your what your data is saying about the market sentiment currently. Do you think that there's a dislocation between sentiment and price? Maybe you could talk a little bit about where we are in the overall market
2: structure? Sure, yeah. so. One thing that's interesting is positive sentiment doesn't necessarily mean positive price movement. So for example, if you see, if, if we're seeing very high sentiment or or investors are very positive about an asset and the tweet volume has increased extremely significantly that tensely decreased price movement not increased price movement and the and the reason is, is that the the signal is no longer valid so for example with our eToro copy portfolio we're only allocating to a position when sentiment is really high and tweet volume relative to itself is low or tweet volume is high and sentiment is low not both uh, which is which is pretty interesting Unfortunately, what we're seeing in the crypto market right now is tweet volume is low and sentiment is low, uh, which is not which is not much of a, a positive sign. But what we are seeing is that, and and I think you know, as investors in the space, I, I think a lot of your listeners are probably seeing that as well. Is news is only really leading Bitcoin on the downside, not the upside. It doesn't seem like positive news is really moving the needle right. uh, from an upward trajectory. So what our customers are seeing is is our signals on the short side. Uh, have been much more powerful than on the long side wow. uh because news is just not moving the market right now you know in a positive way you know for example coin market caps data was you know is now on yahoo finance and in 2017 that could have moved the price by 30% <laughs> i mean keep in mind it's 2017 and today nothing like yeah. you know you know birds chirping right so um but but on the downside you know we're finding that that it's that you know sentiment is really moving downwards price movement
0: so I remember uh when we met up a while back you were talking about some natural language processing that your system kind of employs in order to see the actual sentiment. So could you go into that like and there's also a you know a ticker called ETH on the the real stock exchange and then there's ETH which represents Ethereum. So I want to get a little bit of insight into how your system kind of parses through automatically.
2: Yeah, sure. So that's a great question. So the, so the, the system on the back end for sentiment, we have a lot of different data sets. That's actually social market analytics, our partner company that's, that's doing all of that, uh, because they've developed proprietary tech over the last eight years. Uh, so the way it basically works is they have access to the Twitter firehose, as I mentioned before, and no other crypto company other than us has that access. Um, so they're basically taking in that full stream of 850 million tweets a day. And as you mentioned, the first, you know, the first step is natural language processing and it's identifying the relevancy of a tweet to an asset. So ETH, like you mentioned, is Ethereum, but it's also Ethan Allen, which is an American home furniture company. And the letters ETH is also in tether, because it's T-E-T-H-E-R. So the first step is building sophisticated topic models. Uh, to identify the relevancy of a headline or a tweet, sorry, to an asset. So, same thing goes with EOS. Canon makes a camera called EOS. We don't care about tweets about Canon EOS. Amazon makes a button called Dash, and Dash is a generic word. You know, Bitcoin can have a ripple effect, but that doesn't mean that the tweet is also about ripple. That just means it's about Bitcoin. So, the first step is building that technology, uh, which is very difficult and is refined. You know, through both supervised and unsupervised, uh, you know, machine learning as well, where there's a level of automation, but there's also a huge level of we have man hours and humans that are just going and physically adjusting these models every day to try to perfect them, which is a huge percentage of it. The next step is is filtration. Um, so, as you guys know, there's there are lots of shillers, there are lots of fake accounts. So, just like there's wash trading, which you guys have probably spoke about in the past, uh, there's a lot of I guess you know fake fake tweets and 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 bot accounts in the market. So the second step is filtration. So we're actually weeding out about ninety to ninety five percent of accounts which are inaccurate or bot accounts. The way that we do that is a few different ways. The first is we have proprietary account accuracy technology. So when person X tweets positively about an asset, we can tell you what percentage of the time the value of that asset goes up within a week, within a month, within a year, or in the downside when they tweet negatively, what percentage of the time does the value of that asset decline. We'll look, for example, if somebody's name is John with nine random numbers after it, like one, two, seven, eight, nine, four, six, eight, that tends to be a bot account. And the reason it's created that way is, you know, just trying to create an account automatically that, that somebody else doesn't own. Uh, Another example is follower to follows ratio, how long the account has been around for. So we may start with a million tweets and we're only going down to about 50,000 from that, Uh, weeding out, weeding out all those accounts. The step above that is we have a dictionary of over a hundred thousand unique terms. So if we see, for example, Bitcoin sees surge in o t c trading volume on x, y, and z, we're scoring every word in every tweet individually, so positive words can be you know scored you know, slightly positive, very positive, you know, moderately positive. And we have a, you know, a scoring system, which actually a numerical value. And what we'll do is we'll quantify a tweet. So a tweet can have some positive and negative words. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll sum up all the tweets over a day and compare it versus different intervals. So for example, You know, how positive is Bitcoin sentiment today versus the last 20 days? And the reason that we do that is because you can't compare Bitcoin sentiment to XRP sentiment, for example, because the average XRP tweet is more positive. So just saying, oh, XRP tweets are more positive today, useless. What's more useful is, are Bitcoin tweets becoming more positive or XRP tweets becoming more positive? And is that number uh, statistically significant? And it's
0: just in relation to itself.
2: Yes, exactly. Okay. So it's and like a moving average, essentially. So it's it's normalizing the data, and and yeah, I guess a moving average is a good way of putting it, right? Where we're normalizing the data, and on the back end, what we're providing in, investors is statistical z scores. So sentiment is three standard deviations from the mean, but on the IO, we convert that to a zero to one hundred value. So anything above fifty means it's positive. I can't remember the exact number, but something about eighty is 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 extremely positive, which is, on the back end is two standard deviations from the mean, and below, you know, twenty. Um, but we provide, you know, investors with a range of, you know, 40 or 50 just sentiment metrics.
0: So what is the tie seen now? Um, you know, the copy trader portfolio, I think, is comprised of last time I checked, at least uh, Dash and
2: XRP. So that was so that was the last rebalance. Um, or maybe that was this one. I don't remember. I'm not. I, I. I don't. We. You know. You guys can go look up the composite assets. Go to Etoro and look up the tie Long only. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the way that that kind of works. Um. And then we can go into kind of sentiment in the market. But the way that that basically works is we're allocating to at minimum three coins uh, that have unique combinations of positive sentiment uh, and tweet volume. So uh, as I mentioned before, high sentiment and low tweet volume or low sentiment. Uh, and, uh, and high tweet volume is really what we're allocating to, but that's a long only portfolio. So we have to allocate to at least three positions on the long end. And if the market declines, the portfolio is obviously going to decline. So it's, it's really a bullish out, outlook on the market. Unfortunately, our outlook right now is not the most positive, as I think most people in crypto is. I mean, sentiment isn't positive, you know, among, you know, you guys as listeners probably, as well as, you know, you've talked to other people in the space. So that's obviously going to reflect in the data. Uh But we've seen, you know, significant declines in conversations on almost every asset. So, um, you know, Bitcoin tweet volume, I think, is down about 80% from eyes, which is massive. You know, the number of unique accounts tweeting about the asset are down about 70 to 80%. And it gets worse for every altcoin. Um So as you go down the list, it gets worse. I mean, we're seeing coins with 98% declines in conversations.
1: Yeah, and uh, we see that, you know. As well, we just see so many different things disappearing, so many people disappearing or popping back up six months later, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And I feel like a lot of the retail has left the market and it's been replaced, not at scale, but it's been replaced by more professional traders, institutional traders that aren't going to blast their thoughts on social media. We see Bitcoin flows going into grayscale, you know, a lot more and also into backed as well and other different institutions flowing in. And... News really moves the emotions of retail traders that are excited by something new that they see on Twitter. But institutional great investors don't get their trading advice from Twitter or Telegram. So you'd be surprised. I, I would be. <laughs> I, I might be. But um, I feel like in order for the good times to come again, you know, <laughs> we really need to have uh, people that get very excited that haven't been around for the last two years watching their assets depreciate tremendously, like 98% or or worse. So I think the rest of us that are left are just saying, well, until I really see some positive trend, take a real hold, I'm not going to put any more money in.
2: So so I think that
1: could be one of the reasons why we're not seeing a lot of news move things in a positive manner.
2: So I I think a few comments on that. Uh, The first is the Grayscale thing is awesome. That's great. Uh, And there was a report that came out the other day and I, I, can't remember who did it, but among the top five holdings of millennials, GBTC is held by more people than like Netflix.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, I remember seeing that. Which one. is
2: awesome. I mean, GBT is great because it GBTC GBTC is great for a few reasons. The first is for anybody who's an accredited investor, which means you have investable assets of over a million dollars, you can basically convert your Bitcoin into shares of GBTC. They hold the Bitcoin. And GBTC trades at a 30% premium to the NAV, or basically the underlying right. value of the Bitcoin. So if you're an accredited investor, you can go to Grayscale, give them your Bitcoin, and basically a year later, trade it at 30% premium, which is awesome. Uh, but it's also great because it's a product that registered investment advisors can give their clients exposure to. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a product that you can hold in retirement accounts and in other places. So that's really cool. But, but to your point, the institutional interest is also not there. Um, So it's not just retail that's declining. It's also institutional interest that's declining. Um, What we're seeing is that is a few things. The first is that the crypto native funds are having an incredibly difficult time fundraising. Um, And and a lot of the guys that were more fundamental funds, so guys that are investing in news, for example, uh, as you guys mentioned, you know, the assets they're holding are down 80 or 90%. So, you know, there are some funds in the space that had 150 million bucks at their peak and are now sitting at 20 million dollars. And the big issue is that all their money is in crypto. It's not necessarily in cash. So it's not like these guys can go out and, and pump the price of Bitcoin. Uh because, you know, unless they move all their holdings from altcoins to, to Bitcoin potentially. Um because they're just not sitting on a lot of a lot of cash and you know, backed is as is, is, has seen growth, but we're still kind of small. So it's you know, we're in a, we're in a, not the best place now where, where both retail interest is declining as well as, I don't think institutional interest is necessarily declining, but it's not growing. Um, and, and there's, the reason that that's a problem is because one of the biggest issues with Bitcoin is lack of liquidity or lack of trading volume. So if you look at large pension funds, you know, you know, funds that represent 50, 60, you know, a hundred billion dollars in AUM, if they're going to allocate to an asset class, they want to put at least a few bips into that asset class, you know. For example, you look at you know somebody like Ontario Teachers or Ontario Municipal uh, Employees Retirement System, which are these massive you know pension plans based out of Canada. You know the minimum position size that they may take in a in a in an asset class is one or two billion dollars, and that would move the market significantly. <laughs> huge, but the issue is you can't put that money in the space yet because there's not enough liquidity. Because if you go out and you try to buy that much Bitcoin. There's You're just gonna, not enough that being offered on the market. Exactly, so you can't you you can't allocate because there's just it's not that there's a a lack of interest among some of these people in allocating. It's that they just physically can't do it.
0: Is that a good like a constricted supply? Right, like that that's always been one of the things that people tout about Bitcoin. Is like oh, it's a limited supply, so as demand rises, it's a good thing for the market. But it sounds like it's almost a bad
2: thing for the market as well. So I I mean I think we will get to a point where pensions can allocate. Um and that's that's huge that's like that's a like game absolute game changer yeah. I mean Morgan Creek raised some money from you know some small pensions, but that was more for like v c investing in blockchain, not really I think a small percentage of it went to buying crypto, but you know less than twenty million bucks right mm-hmm. you know tiny tiny numbers. if you can get these large pensions to put you know you know point one percent of their holdings into bitcoin, I mean the market would skyrocket. The issue is. We need to get there, right? So we need that increased volume. We need the liquidity so that somebody can go on the market and can buy 50 million bucks without moving the price by 15%, right. uh, like they'd be able to if they were buying Apple. Um, so I think there's a few steps that are kind of going to take us there. Uh, the first, which I think is the most important, is getting registered investment advisors uh, to get their clients to get exposure to Bitcoin. So a lot of these large investment advisor companies like ACO and Morgan Stanley uh have mandates from higher up that they can't uh, recommend Bitcoin investment to their to their clients. Right. But there's some really cool companies like Bitwise out in San Francisco, which is built like, you know, a Bitcoin only fund. And they're going to invest, you know, smaller boutique investment advisors. And they're, you know, offering to accredited investors. So guys that have more than a million bucks, unfortunately not retail, um, you know, the ability to get exposure to Bitcoin. And if we can get Investment advisors to get you know their their clients to put one or two percent of their money into Bitcoin. That's absolutely massive for the market, as well as going out and selling products like you know what Bitwise is selling with their Bitcoin only fund uh, into family offices. You know I think we need to take that step first before we can take that leap to pensions. Etoro is one of the
0: largest trading platforms in the world with over one trillion dollars in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at etoro.com slash crypto101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way eToro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. That makes so that makes a lot of sense. But then I guess my follow-up question is who's winning in this market, if anybody? Is it the quant funds? Oh, it's it, the quant funds. It's the quant funds. What it's, what is a quant fund and why are they winning?
2: Yeah, so a quant fund is is a, a mathematical hedge fund, I guess for lack of better terms. It's funds that are that are building models to trade, uh purely mathematically based. So they may do a, be doing anything from arbitrage mathematically to you know sophisticated strategies that deploy our data. We work with a lot of 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 hedge funds. and the thing about you know quantitative hedge funds is they don't tell you how you they use their data. That's their secret, right? If they're making a hundred million bucks a year, they don't want to tell you what they're doing. Um, but, but, there are a lot of you know quantitative hedge funds that are looking at, at everything from market making to arbitrage to sentiment strategies to volatility strategies to multi factor where you 're looking at you know three or four different things at the same time uh and and not all of them are doing well but this company uh called Vision Hill, which is a crypto fund of funds uh puts out basically indices on different types of crypto funds uh so they have a quant one a fundamental one, and you can see that that you know, broadly speaking, quantitative hedge funds, I think, are outperforming the market. Uh, you know, I think their return this year was 20 or 30 percent on average versus, you know, a very small return for any other fund. This-
3: what does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call QuickGrainger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate?
1: Is there anything that retail people can get involved in with Quantum? Maybe
2: they've tokenized these things, or is it just accredited investors only at this time? For for quantitative hedge funds, it's accredited investors only. But the cool thing that we're doing with eToro is we're actually in the process of bringing on uh, somebody who traded a $900 million quantitative uh, fund in the past as an employee of our company. uh, And he'll be building uh, strategies that we're launching on eToro for retail investors. So just like you know, we may sell a feed to a fund. We're building sophisticated strategies for retail, uh, and the cool thing, and, and something that you know we're working on, is hopefully building strategies beyond just sentiment. And and the idea there is that you know by investing in five or six different types of portfolios, you can get access to what would be like a, a traditional fund or a fund of funds. Where you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, but you're putting your eggs in five or six different kind of copy portfolio baskets. So you're getting diversified access to what would be kind of effectively like a quantitative hedge fund. That's amazing. And I guess to play devil's
0: advocate a little bit, you know, why would a company like the tie offer this, you know, coveted kind of quantitative prize to retail? Is, is it like getting? <laughs> yeah, just t- talk
2: about this. Talk about this. No, um, I mean, you know, a few reasons, right? One is we have an economic incentive where, you know, eToro is, has been a great customer of ours. Um, so there's an, an economic incentive, but there's also that, you know, libertarian mentality that we, like a lot of other people have in crypto. And we believe in like, like truly believe in accessibility of information and doing the right thing. I believe we're the only company in crypto that has an ethics statement that we've released publicly. Uh, so we really do care about doing the right thing and giving investors access to, to information and to resources that they may not otherwise have. Uh, there are obviously some things that we do and some data feeds that we do provide to, to clients um, on an exclusive basis that we may not be able to offer. Uh, but the sentiment feed, that's the backing of our initial copy portfolio, as well as some of the more interesting ones that we're launching, um, is, is the same exact back-end feed that we're providing to funds.
1: As someone who just trades these assets night and day based on what their sentiment is, do you ever get any kind of attachment to a project where you say, oh, wow, I really like what they're doing or their cause or the people behind it that you really want to support? Or is it all just numbers on a chart to you at this point?
2: Well, so two things there. The first is that uh, as part of our ethics statement, we don't actually trade or hold coins. And um, the reason being is that we're – none of my employees are – all my employees are contractually obligated not to. And um, the reason being is that we're a core data provider. Uh, and I think it's a conflict of interest to be providing data and have some sort of in, in, in incentive to manipulate upwards the value of an individual asset. Uh, so we don't. Uh, but in terms of our, our clients, that's definitely an issue. And there's a, a book that just came out. Um, by the founder of uh, Renaissance Technologies, which is the best performing quantitative hedge fund in the world. The guy's name is, I believe, Jim Simmons, who's the founder of it. Uh, and so his, his firm, Rentech, has basically re- returned at least 80% a year on a $10 billion internal portfolio for the last 20 years. That's uh, fucking nuts. Nuts. Absolutely Nuts. Uh, they don't hire anybody with a finance background. All the guys they hire, you, if you've worked in finance, they will not hire you. They're all astrophysicists and just insane. But so the book is really interesting, and it talks about at the beginning when he first started Rentech, when he started moving into into trading. At first, it was a big issue because he would let his kind of mind or his thought process get involved and he'd be allocating, like, he'd cornered, like, the global potato market. And he's like, what the, what is going on here? Right. He Uh, he, he didn't even realize what
0: he was doing. The, the models just said that this is the opportunity. And he was like, wait, why do I
2: own 75% of the potatoes in America? Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so, so, you know, the, the issue is once you start getting emotion involved, you, you know, you, as as a quant fund you may be allocating to things that make no sense to you but you're using like 20 different data sets as inputs and and historically quant funds have outperformed you know kind of human emotion and you don't know why that data is being output and why like it does, we don't know why our model is telling us to buy x coin but if we start getting you know if we if there's a level of human involvement if we like look at what we're spitting out before we're doing it historically that's bad uh, and historically, that that's underperformed. You know, just just directly allocating to what's what's. You know, that's obviously not every fund. Rentech is like a total, total, complete outlier yeah. that they've just killed everyone. Um, but it's the same thing that goes for you know funds like Two Sigma and DRW and Point Seventy Two and a lot of. The traditional quantitative hedge funds where a lot of their traders have no idea why their model told them to buy something, but you can't let human, you know, human judgment get involved there.
0: Right. I mean, that's, we are the error, generally speaking. And so you let the machine, you let the code run. Um, But kind of switching gears a little bit, um, you know, we've talked about all these assets, crypto assets that have been just trending downwards, losing all this percentage points. And there's also all these companies that are losing so much value. It kind of feels like to me, uh, it's a ripe environment for mergers and acquisitions. Has the tie been looking at any companies? Have you guys, I, I know you mentioned you acquired a company in the past, but is that a trend that you see broadly unfolding over the entire market that a lot of these guys are going to get scooped up?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that. One of the one of the challenges is is this market has significantly declined since the bull market of twenty seventeen-2018. We've made a tremendous amount of progress, so we should talk about the good things as opposed to just, just the bad ones later. But um one of the interesting things is a lot of these these companies were venture backed uh and raised two, three, four, five million dollars in late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen, uh went out and hired twenty or thirty full-time employees, like, you know, in the US, for example. And the revenue is just not there to support those companies. So we have a theory that about 60 to 90% of companies will go to business in the space within the next, uh, you know, year or so, uh, which is, is ripe for acquisition, right? Um, a lot of these companies have built really cool technology. The market's just not there yet. It's not for lack of building cool products and, and awesome products that, that serve a real purpose. It's just the market isn't there yet. Um, so as you mentioned, we 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 recently made an acquisition which isn't fully public yet, but we'll be disclosing more information uh, in the future. Uh, but we think that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. You look at Binance has scooped up a, a few companies in the last few months, uh, and we think it's kind of going to become M and A frenzy and M and A mania, where you know your your winners in the space and the guys that are ahead see great opportunities to swoop up companies for you know twenty percent of. The valuation that they raised at, you know, you may have raised at 20 million bucks, but you can be purchased for $4 million now. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the employees are going to stay on at those companies. Our acquisition was an asset acquisition where we bought all the assets the company had developed. Um, but, you know, we think that, you know, the market, as the market matures, there'll be a tremendous amount of opportunities to, to go out and make, make acquisitions and, and to merge, uh, and eventually to bring, you know, kind of companies that have, you know, merged, you know, six or seven different businesses in the same industry. For example, I think custody is ripe uh, public. I think there's, there's there'll be an opportunity there as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think Tron just acquired Steemit the other day. What? Yeah. Really? Absolutely. I didn't know that. Yeah, they just announced it. Maybe it was last night or maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, and I've been talking about that for a while. Is When is someone like Google or Microsoft going to come in and swoop up, you know, Zillica or some other, you know, failing platform that, you know, really needs some new
0: new life breathed into it. It looks like it's just—it's not official yet, but there there are lots of
2: talks about it and rumors swirling around. It sounds like the the uh, Tagomi Coinbase, you know, all the all the rumors swirling around. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I don't think we're going to see Google and Microsoft swooping in yet to buy anything. I think we'll see a lot of crypto native companies buying other crypto native companies. Uh, I think that's kind of how it will start and. I don't think that necessarily a lot of the large tech players are looking at crypto right now. Uh, so I think the exit strategy, uh, for a lot of companies is, is more likely going to be going public, uh, versus, you know, thinking that uh, a Google will be your acquirer. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, the, the large players in, in crypto like Coinbase, like Binance have tremendous opportunities to go out and acquire other, other firms within the space. And I think we'll see them acquiring firms and those companies. I mean Coinbase in particular, you know, looking to go public uh, and doing an, doing an IPO.
1: We've seen a lot of companies try and do a Reg A plus offering as well to try and give themselves another few year runway to hopefully uh have a market created for the cool tech they've built. So, um it seems a, like an interesting stopgap measure, but we'll see if it works.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's 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 a tough market um and and we'll see. Uh but I think it's If you're positioned for the long term, um, if you have a long term belief in the market like we do, this is the best time to go out and acquire other companies because we may never have this opportunity again. Yeah. Everything it feels like is on a fire
0: sale. Um, So, I mean, kind of on that same note, in your mind, what is the most bullish thing that's on the horizon for our industry?
2: So – I don't know if there. So I think that the Bitcoin halving is definitely extremely bullish. I know people have said it's priced in, but I think once miners have half as much Bitcoin to liquidate on the market, that that's going to be a really really positive thing. It's eliminating a lot of sell pressure, is what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. Uh, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think it's eighteen hundred Bitcoin a right. day or so right now that's being liquidated and, and removing that sell sell pressure back back to you know down to nine hundred. I think is going to be is going to be big. Um, I think an- another thing which which would be really positive is just regulatory clarity in the US. Mm. I don't care if regulation becomes restrictive, just knowing how to operate is incredibly, <laughs> incredibly valuable. Right. If we get to a point where uh you know we can you know have have really interesting products launch to the public. So, you know, for example, not just having a copy portfolio on Etoro, but having like a tradable structured product around sentiment that we can go out and, and sell to a credit like investors. an ETF or something. Exactly. So not just a, a basic ETF, which is would be huge if yeah, we a get Bitcoin ETF, ETF would be great. Insane. It would be massive because if investment advisors can get their clients to allocate, you know, one percent of their portfolio to Bitcoin, that's massive, right? I, you know, and I think the selling point that we need to have is not Bitcoin is going to go to a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. I think it's Bitcoin is uncorrelated to any other asset class. Right, right. Reduce your risk. Exactly. That's it, right? So you should hold 60%, you know, equities, 30% this, you know, 8, 9% that, and 1% Bitcoin. And if we can create regulated products where investment advisors can get their customers 1% exposure to Bitcoin, you know, this is going to go huge. Yeah. Um, You know, if, if, you know, people are used to holding gold in their portfolio, if we can get them to hold Bitcoin, I mean, that is, that's what we should be pushing for that more than anything else. Allocate 1%. Not even 10%, 1%, half a percent, a quarter of a percent of your net worth to this asset class because it's completely uncorrelated with anything else. And I think it's a lot harder to get just your average person to create a Bitcoin wallet and to go out and buy Bitcoin and to go to create a Coinbase account versus if they're already trading over Fidelity or Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade, just buying an asset that just like GBTC, right. that gives them some exposure to, to And they coin. could
0: even see like, you know, for the last 10 years, it's literally barring maybe the year of 2018, it's been the best performing asset class of any asset, right? Some years it's up a thousand percent, a hundred percent this year, you know, 300%, all that kind of stuff. So I think that'd be, you know, a big selling point of, you know, getting in ETFs and all sorts of different products. But on the flip side of that, you know, what's the most catastrophic thing that you could see happening to our industry that would make you be like,
2: all right, fuck it. I'm walking away. I'm starting a new business. Um, I think it's just, a, if this decline continues for the next few years and we just don't see anything on the up, um, as well as, you know, if the United States decided to go out and, and ban crypto, uh, you know, you'd obviously still have your libertarians out there that are, you know, kind of using it quietly. But if they go shut down Coinbase and, you know, shut down eToro, who's got operations in the US and, and Binance America, I mean, you know, obviously the crypto market is a lot more than just the U.S. And it's actually, we, you know, I think it's bigger outside, you know, much bigger in Asia now that is in the U.S. Uh, but it's just that's just not good um, because, you know, it's the U.S. pension money and the U.S. institutions that can really take this thing 50x. Um, and, and we need to have them there. Uh, that said, if they did, we'd still stay in. We believe in the asset class. We believe in the opportunity and the growth. But that would be that would be hugely negative.
1: So what do you see happening for the year twenty twenty? Is it going to be a good year? Is it going to be a bad year? Or is it just a lot more chop solidation?
2: Yeah, I, it's. I don't. I. I'm. I'm one person that doesn't give Bitcoin predictions. This market is so unbelievably volatile, and crypto changes literally every day. Um, you know, we saw Bitcoin can go up forty percent in a day, and then go down for like two months in a row. <laughs> I think it's kind of futile to give an exact prediction. Um, I. I think uh, you know I see us probably staying on the same path for now, uh, not necessarily declining, but but kind of flatlining. And uh, until, you know, there's nothing huge on the horizon that, you know, to me is like, oh, this thing is going to go, you know, 20x. I mean, I think Fidelity moving into crypto and offering custody and trading is great and backed, uh, you know, is growing. And I think that's all great. Uh, but I think what we're really missing is like a, a, consume, a mainstream consumer app, That just makes it so easy to buy Bitcoin and that people use. And I know SoFi is doing that. And I know that uh, uh, Jack Dorsey with Square is doing that. Um, But I think, you know, we need a bit more of that, um, you know, kind of thing. We need to get people excited. And maybe it's like just, you know, a couple giant upward price movement, get people really excited about the asset again.
0: You know, on that same point, it just seems like, you know, I was talking to my parents about this, for instance, the other night. And they feel a lot more comfortable buying Bitcoin when the price is higher. You know, they're like, oh, well, maybe if it breaks its all time highs again, we'll feel more comfortable buying it. But nobody's really interested in it now. and The price keeps falling. And so it's kind of an irrational thought to want to buy an asset when other people have priced it higher already. Like what what is going on in that dynamic right there?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) that, that, you know, that kind of is what led to Bitcoin hitting $20,000 in late 2017, right? Is that that dynamic, that groupthink and that FUD, that, you know, that fear, uncertainty and doubt where, um, you know, I I think, you know, kind of, I guess, a little bit of follow the leader mentality. And if everybody else is buying it, I should buy it. And Um, if everybody's selling it, then it's not worth it. But but it's
0: actually, you know, the the smart guys, all the quantitative guys are saying, oh, we're picking this all up at a discount. We're going to mark it up.
2: Well, so I don't know if the quantitative guys are doing that. Uh, they're doing more like intraday trading, where they're okay. doing like long and short trading, uh, and and those guys may not hold a position more than two hours. Um, so they're not they're not taking any. Some of them are doing monthly rebalancing, and there's one fund in particular I know that's killing it, holding coins from a long position you know month at a time. Um, they have a couple of strategies made that made seventy or eighty percent last year oh, with wow. with tens of millions of dollars deployed behind each. Um, trading not Bitcoin but altcoins. Um, uh, each strategy, they have about 15 to $20 million deployed behind with one month holding periods, which is, you know, they won't (laughs) won't tell me what they're doing, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people are going out and buying Bitcoin, but the demand is just, is not there. And I mean, I think fundamental funds want to buy more Bitcoin. I mean, people in the crypto community want more Bitcoin, but a lot of people are fully deployed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like people are like, holy shit. Bitcoin's at what seventy one hundred. Let me get in, Let me buy it. But unfortunately, people have enough of their money already in Bitcoin. I mean, we need to attract outside capital right now.
0: Absolutely. So, let, let, switching gears again, uh, you know, to wrap things up, we like to ask uh, everybody certain certain questions. Um, but before we get to that, uh, I want to ask you, what's the craziest day of trading that you ever partook in?
2: So, before I started my business, um, I, I can't remember the day. But Bitcoin was, you know, somewhere between six and $8,000. And I made a couple of trades in the day that were small trades. But I was up like, and I was I was day trading. So I was never really a, a hold type person. Um, but I was day trading, you know, 2016, 2017. Um, you know, there were times where I made like 2500 bucks in like two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, just like absurd amounts of money and like these tiny time intervals. And I, I mean, you know, I actually got out right as I was starting the business. So I sold all my Bitcoin at 10k the first time. Um, and uh, I was just like, this makes no sense. I'm like, it makes no sense that I bought something in five minutes later, it's worth 25% more. It's just completely, completely irrational. Uh, but that said, I'm in crypto full time, I built a business in crypto, I'm acquiring crypto companies because I fully believe in this asset. So even though I'm not holding, it's not because I don't want to hold. Uh, it's because I think it's a conflict of interest to do it. Um, because we provide data. And I think, you know, selling data on Neo or uh, XRP or whatever the asset is, and then holding that coin would be a conflict of interest, but we're fully invested in the market and, and do have a belief that Bitcoin is 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 going up from here.
1: Yeah, well said. And it, as you mentioned, you might be the only company encrypted with an ethics statement right there on your homepage. But, you know, it's a good... And I think um, more companies like yours are going to emerge and, you know, money is going to... There are people with money out there. There's outside money. They just don't know where it's safe to put it. But if they can find companies that are ethical, that are doing good things and making the world better, maybe they'll come on board, and we'll start to see these ethical companies rise to power.
2: Yeah, and I don't think it's. I I think ethics is super important. Please be ethical. (laughs) Um, please do the right thing. Stop scamming people. Stop trying to manipulate the market. Right? Do what's right. You know, treat others like you'd you'd like to be treated. I mean, it sounds cliche and stupid, but it's true. Um. But I think it's also just like having the right infrastructure in place. So, for example, like some of the custody solutions that are emerging to allow people to trade out of cold storage is absolutely massive because it allows people to trade more frequently um, and at a higher volume. So I think it's also just the right solutions. And, you know, you know, for example, giving, you know, credit investors and sophisticated institutional investors uh, tools that allow them to feel more comfortable about their money. The fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's actually custody. It's not going to get hacked. It's insured. Uh, as well as just easier products to get exposure without having to actually physically hold Bitcoin, I think is super important.
1: A hundred percent. So, who's one person that you admire in the crypto space that you kind of latched
2: onto their teachings or their way when you first got into the space? Um. So that's a that's a good question, and I think going a little bit outside of crypto, Kathy Wood, who's the founder of Ark Invest. Uh, Ark Invest is a uh, an asset manager that offers a bunch of different ETFs, and so they they created an ETF. I think it was Ark W or Ark was the original ETF back in 2016, uh, which was the first any sort of product that basically gave widespread uh, you know allocation to Bitcoin. So they had ETF that basically held GBTC, and so Kathy founded Ark, uh, and they had you know f- the four or five top performing ETFs. Uh, worldwide in 2017, uh, which had, you know, about 10% exposure to GBTC, which is Bitcoin. So I admire her for having, you know, the cojones to allocate to Bitcoin. But, but I credit also goes there to Chris Berniski because Chris Bernisky was the analyst at Arc before he left, uh, Arc to, uh, to start his own, his own fund that, you know, really pushed Kathy to allocate into Bitcoin and, and, you know, helped garner some, you know, widespread institutional adoption and, and a big percentage of DBTC is still held by those ARC funds, which are growing massively. I mean, there are billions of dollars allocated behind them. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Uh, shout out to Kathy Wood and Chris Bernitsky. Um, so besides these these cats over at ARC and besides the tie, of course, uh, and let's say besides any company that you've acquired or that you have any sort of potential conflict of interest with, what is one company or one project in the space that you think is having the most significant impact beyond any other company?
2: Um, that's a good question. I think uh, maybe Square, like the you know the the Cash app, um, and I think making it just super super easy for investors to get exposure into Bitcoin. Um, I think that they're doing uh, a really great service to our industry, um, and I think that goes with all of the you know, equity, you know, retail platforms in the United States and, and worldwide that are, you know, for example, eToro Event and and SoFi and Robinhood and all these different platforms that are just making it super easy and simple for investors to get exposure to digital assets. Uh so I think, you know, that's really important. And uh there's some funds out there that are building products which are, you know, that have SEC filings, not just for ETFs, but there's a there's a company, um In the Northeast, and you know, I don't know if they're super public about this, that has a filing with the SEC, which basically is creating something like a GBTC, but instead of annual redemption, it has quarterly redemptions for credit investors. And what that means is basically, you know, your money is not locked up in Bitcoin if you're buying, you know, this product, you know, as long as it is with GBTC. Uh, so it's created to trade at closer to the, to, to, to the nav. So it's not trading at as much of a premium. And I think that that's a, you know, that's a really good, and there's a couple companies that are doing this. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a really big positive for the industry as well.
1: Well said. And the last question that we have is if this was the very first podcast, someone who wanted to get into crypto had listened to, what would
2: you tell them? What's a word of advice that you would tell them about getting into crypto today? Uh, don't be overwhelmed. Uh, you know, don't also get stressed out by crypto Twitter and by all the infighting. It, It looks really bad. Um, but I promise we're all nice. Uh, we're all friendly. Uh, we're here because we have a, a really strong belief in digital assets. Uh, we believe that digital assets are the future in some manner or another, whether you're more of a libertarian who thinks that you know digital assets are the future of money, uh, or you're somebody like myself who thinks that digital assets should be part of a diversified portfolio. Uh, but don't get overwhelmed. Reach out to founders, ask questions. It's a super open community. We're all here to help. Um, you know, while some people, you know, tend to, you know, just push more positive things. I think don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to, you know, like like you know, I'm doing on this podcast today. Talk about the negatives, right? Uh, because I think it's important to lay that out there and recognize that look, we're not in a great place right now, but we have an incredible talent base of people. I mean, XMIT, Stanford, you know. You know, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, you know, in this space that really do believe in digital assets and don't get overwhelmed by all the negativity, all the infighting. Um, you know, go out there and seek the truth, ask questions, reach out to me, you know, send me a message on LinkedIn, reach out to others in the space because people are willing to take the time to listen to you, to talk, uh, and to answer any questions that you have.
0: Absolutely. And guys, that does it for us today here at Crypto 101. But if you guys want to hear more from joshua frank he will be speaking at the crypto 2020 summit so if you guys haven't registered uh we will be doing a another deep dive with joshua so if you want to learn more about the tie if you want to learn more about his uh his thoughts for 2020 go to www.crypto2020summit.com and see him plus 50 60 other speakers josh thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we can't wait to Talk to you again soon.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. And there's, there are way more interesting speakers than me, so definitely register and check them out. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to go get some steak. Uh, and everybody, we will see you next week. Take
0: care. Crypt Nation, just a friendly neighborhood reminder to go to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free conference pass. To the online summit, Crypto 2020 Summit, we got 60 speakers who are giving their bold predictions for prices and bold predictions for uh, technological developments in this crazy crypto space. So if you want to be the first to know the big news and you want to make sure that you're in touch and in tune, go to Crypto2020Summit.com right now and register for free.